Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Coming up on today's program, a look at some headlines, a pretty amazing snowstorm out there uh, towards the East Coast. We'll take a look at that and some other stories. Also, what's on the Trumpet.com, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. And uh, you may find yourself in debt sometimes during life, and you want to get out as soon as possible. Uh, We've got some tips to help you do that. We'll take a look at that and more on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio. We're at 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm. Live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Thanks for listening at those various locations. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. And if you'd like to email us, please send those to comments at kpcg.fm. And we appreciate uh, reading those. I'm Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon here today as well. And uh, we were talking before we came on the air about uh, some of the sporting contests yesterday. Big, a lot, lot of sports on TV and so forth. And uh, it, man, tr- the more people try to figure out like how to replay plays to see what actually happened, like the worse it gets. I think I'm and now they're starting to do it with the NBA. In the last two minutes, I think it is they they stop the game now and look at the replays. And and I'm just still baffled by how you know. Uh, Guys can just clearly foul another player, and then the refs just look at it like, "Man, eh, nothing to see here." <laughs> I mean, it just—it's just amazing to me. Growing up and playing different sports and things, there's always going to be a little controversy about a few calls, but usually uh, it's pretty right. You know, if a guy's driving to the hoop to shoot the ball and you just grab both of his arms and pull them down, typically that's a foul call. <laughs> <laughs> Not in Kevin Durant's case. You can do that, apparently. Apparently you can, and you can do it on two separate plays and, and get away with it no problem. I didn't see the whole exchange, but uh, just part of it where he got one technical and probably should have gotten a second one and gotten ejected, but the referee was basically looking at him. Uh, from what I was hearing from commentators, he the referee was looking at him and basically acknowledging he was not going to give Durant a second technical to get him kicked out of the game. Uh, and even that last two-minute thing, that's only to decide who the ball went out of bounds off right. of. You can't review it and and call a clear foul. That that doesn't make any sense either. I just wish they just play and move on. I'm tired of all the, especially in the NBA. It's fast game and you just want it to kind of get over with, I guess, uh, and keep moving along. But uh, well, you know, know, it's really frustrating to watch uh, the Houston Rockets because, like, they get a lot of foul calls where, like, the people in the arena last night kept replaying the supposed fouls where there was no contact but they just were really good at drawing the fouls and that's that type of stuff slows down the game then toward the end of the game they were fouling Andre Robertson on the thunder who is a terrible free throw shooter they just kind of wanted to force him to sit on the bench because he wouldn't make the free throws just a lot of stuff like that that slows things down and is obviously against the spirit of good competition I'm gonna can you apply to be commissioner of the sports leagues 
I don't know. Can, can we get in there? And, you uh, have to have some common sense, <laughs> but that, there's not too much of that going on. It, it, it's uh, it again, you know, it's just uh, sports, not that big of a deal. But at the same time, it just uh, everything. It's like every place you look in life. We talked about this yesterday. It's like up is down, down is up. You know, you look at a clear violation of a, something in a game, and you'll have people saying, "No, oh, this looks fine." <laughs> How is that possible? How? Based upon what? It, it, it's just stunning. It, there's so many things in life like that now where there's a clear like truth to the matter typically and then but people are willing to just say no i didn't see it i didn't (laughs) didn't see it go that way and then you have on the front page of the espn website how kevin durant's physical defense on lebron won them the game well yeah like you were saying before you could hit both of his arms and pull them down maybe probably (laughs) throw a forearm into his ribs ribs really hard and and defend him just fine if all that is apparently allowed yeah if you can defend somebody by just like (laughs) tripping them i'd be okay i'd be a pretty good player uh, a lot to talk about today, some uh, other headlines as well. A lot of people are traveling uh, this time of the year, and uh, there's just kind of this funny write-up about some odd, uh, unhappy landings where they had to turn the plane around or stop it for various reasons. And uh, in 2013, there was an American Airlines flight from Los Angeles to New York City that had to be diverted to Kansas City, Missouri's airport due to a disruptive woman who would not stop singing Dolly Parton's classic ballad, I Will Always Love You. <laughs> What's the problem here? <laughs> yeah, nobody liked it, apparently. <laughs> they had to divert it. They should have flown to Dollywood. Wow. That would have been better. That's just, what a what a character to do something like that on a, on a plane. And you have to, in a way, just marvel at how someone could do something like that, know that there are probably a hundred or more people who despise you at that particular moment, and then just keep doing exactly what you're doing with no qualms. Yeah, I don't know. what They didn't give more backstory there. Sometimes people maybe have had too much to drink on a plane or something maybe didn't even notice that everyone was mad at her but what a yeah that would be very frustrating because you, you know you want to keep your schedule you got to divert the plane for something like that so um, usually it's a mechanical issue you know that's why they need to divert it but you have a passenger that just won't stop singing that's uh i've never been in a situation like that i've never seen a, i've seen passengers get you know a little upset about something but usually calm it down pretty quickly mm. uh or at least simmer you know they won't do much more so thankfully i've never been on one where they've had a divert it for any re- like for a person almost for a medical thing one time somebody had a problem they almost diverted it but uh you you ever had anything like that just a couple of times where passengers were getting a little bit unruly or i think one one person got a bit drunk and then kept on like flicking the person sitting in front of him oh no so obviously all of the stewards came over and were severely reprimanding him and telling him you better not touch this woman again and uh like flicking the ear or the like head or flicker in the ear poker in, in the shoulder like stuff that a, a toddler would do to another toddler <laughs> really and yet uh he just he did it a few more times like after he'd been told to stop and and it and it really, and it really was a, a total breakdown and possibly having to get diverted ourselves yeah you have to follow the rules of society or else you can have major Major issues, so well. hopefully everyone that's uh, flying around has uh, good and safe flights. There's a lot of uh, pretty uh, cold weather, winter weather, of course, uh, today just starting out uh, up in uh, in, uh, northern Minnesota. There was 30 below zero with a wind chill. Uh, That whole region, Wisconsin, all through there, negative uh, 20, you know, somewhere in there. Got to be careful with that if you're outside, of course, in that very, very cold weather. Uh, exposed skin can suffer frostbite in as little as 10 minutes. So uh, that's that's serious business when uh, uh, I was actually watching a little bit of the um, 
Packers game. I think it was on Saturday night, and they were there in Lambeau Field, which is very cold. And the commentators were talking about how cold it is. Of course, I'm from that area, so I, I know how cold it gets. But uh, I think it was uh, Chris Collinsworth. He was he was uh, talking about how he woke up that morning, and the radio announcer said that don't put your dog outside because it'll freeze to death. <laughs> and he's like, if you can't put your dog outside, you know it's cold. So uh, I had a good chuckle because I was like, yeah, you that you know it's serious. <laughs> you know, people talk about, boy, it's a real cold day today. But when you get in some of those areas, what they mean is you're going to die if you're outside today. Like, that's serious. This is no joke. It's not like low 60s in California. Right. This is a real issue with cold weather. I think it was even that same game there were some hooligans without shirts on in the stands. Always are. That that just defies comprehension there. Yep, some people always do that. You know what's cold? I've had this happen where the molecular structure of things change, and um, it happened in my car. It used to happen in my car. Like the door wouldn't close when it got really cold. Like it, it closed, but not tightly. You could, oh, like wow. it shifted a little bit. And uh, so, yeah, when it gets that cold, when, when metal is starting to <laughs> change, <laughs> it's a bad, it's a bad feeling. Lots of snow in some areas. Erie, Pennsylvania, got record snowfall yesterday. Thirty-four inches of snow. If you can imagine that, we always like to get a dusting. They got thirty-four inches. This is a new all-time record for uh, December twenty-fifth. The previous record was twenty inches set on, uh, well, in nineteen fifty-six. Uh, another 19 inches fell before dawn today, bringing the total to 53 inches, the greatest two-day total in Commonwealth history. The previous record was 44 inches. That was in 1958. Even the uh, the usually rainy Pacific Northwest got some snow. The National Weather Service says it's only the sixth time since 1884 that downtown Portland had measurable snow. It was only about an inch or so. But uh, they got a little snow, too. But out there in Pennsylvania... 40, uh, well, no, let's see, 53 inches has fallen. They're still supposed to get more. And I always, I feel bad for the kids because normally you get school canceled, but they're on break anyway. Uh, so you're like, right. oh, well, who cares now? I mean, it's still fun, I guess. But well, and dangerous, though, because uh, the roads are impassable, so they have to wait, too, a few days probably so they can uh, get everything plowed before they can get out and get what they need. Yeah, I presume that's probably right on the banks of Lake Erie, if it's Erie, Pennsylvania. That's the same as Buffalo, New York, and they got a really bad... Uh, blizzard recently too you get that drift coming off the lake and it just basically will dump snow on your head and uh, obviously in that situation you can't really go outside or do anything so those kids are probably not really enjoying it as much as they would have if it were during the school year yeah and you know they're probably used to snow as well so it's not quite the novelty that it is like somewhere like Oklahoma, we don't get a lot of snow, but so lots of snow there. Uh, the best time to have a lot of snow like that is if you're little, a little kid. I I remember having snow as a kid and it would, uh, freeze a little bit, get cold. And I was light enough to walk on top of it <laughs> where all the adults were up to like their, you know, mid leg wow. and I'm just right on top. So, but you get much older than about five and you can't stay, uh, stay on top of the crustaceans anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's a way to say it. Yeah, uh, it's pretty fun when you're uh, a little bit lighter or you're smaller. You can you can fit into spaces that most people can't. Although, if you had fallen through, that would have been quite treacherous. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you could you could disappear in snowbanks. So, that's actually always a warning because kids like to tunnel, mm. and you got to be careful that they don't tunnel and have it collapse on them because that can be a problem. But actually, that's happened. Uh, people have gotten buried in snowbanks and things like that. So, and particularly when you get that much snow. Uh, you know they'll tell you get don't park your car on the road because they're coming through on the side because they're coming through to plow it, and uh, but 
you know, you'd shovel out your driveway, and I'm sure this will happen to people. You shovel out your driveway, and then the snowplow comes through, <laughs> and it puts that massive snowbank right right at the top right. of your driveway again. So you had to go back out and shovel it off. And typically, it gets cold right after a snowstorm. So if you don't get that snow out of there, then you got then you're going to be chiseling it out as opposed to just shoveling. So you got an ice hill in yep. your in your driveway. Yeah, mm-hmm. that seems like it's almost impossible to deal with. It's funny. Some people were telling me the other night how it just seems like accidents with kids outside has kind of increased in recent years and i mean maybe it is just because we have our kids play outside a little bit less now they they have more things to do indoors and so you, you don't have as much of a wherewithal of some of the dangers that you're facing if you don't go outside as much hmm, that's interesting yeah well i faced a danger yesterday and i conquered it black widow spider in my garage Ooh. yeah my wife saw it i didn't even notice it but she saw it and it was just hanging out there and so um killed it with my shoe. <laughs> I, I won I won that that round. So actually I looked up black widow spiders today. I know they're poisonous, you know, but uh they can cause you a lot of problems. Typically they don't kill an adult if you're healthy, but they could it could kill a small child or somebody that's maybe older has some health problems. So they're dangerous and even if you're healthy they can make you sick. And then uh they, you know, they're called black widows cuz a lot of times they destroy the male trying to mate with them. So, uh, just I'm just glad I'm not in that not a spider. That's a bad move. I mean, you know, it could be nerve wracking going up to, and trying to ask somebody on a date. But in the case of the black widow, like it might kill you. And and yet they still are drawn in. Can't help <laughs> they, it. They, they fall right into the trap every time. The video. You, there's a video. I think it was on National Geographic. I was watching and and they show the spider coming up and they have you know they say well you know Paris so far so good and then they're like but no wait and then the the female wrapped it up and yeah. in a web and then killed it and, and then they inject a venom into it and then it becomes kind of soupy and then the spider drinks it so that's that gross is, but that is just crazy uh, yeah sometimes just looking at nature it just makes you thankful that we have houses that we, that can kind of insulate us from some of those creatures for the most part, and thankfully we don't act that way as well. <laughs> yeah, well, the, you know, the the black widow often has that hourglass on, on the back, that red, and to warn you of the poison, and I just have to uh, wonder if when God made that, it was like a warning for humans. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, stay away from that thing. <laughs> or however that happened, I don't know, the whole situation with the black widow spider. <laughs> but anyway, uh, at least it's got a big warning button on the back that you could pay attention to. <laughs> Uh, Of course, this time of year, people are taking a look at what happened in 2017, looking ahead to 2018. Uh, This is from the Associated Press. Fewer strong earthquakes in Oklahoma thus far in 2017. I've noticed that. We haven't, I can't remember actually, well, maybe I felt one or two this year, but they were really light. You know, for a while there, we were getting a lot of strong ones, for Oklahoma anyway. And uh, it was getting a little bit, you know, nerve-wracking, I guess, but we didn't have too many this year. They think it's because they're not doing as much of the injections into the well sites. So I'm not sure if that's why or not. But anyway, less earthquakes. Yeah, and some of those earthquakes were cracking the foundations of people's homes. I mean, it wasn't like it was just nothing at all. Those were some pretty, pretty destructive things, even though they weren't to the scale of the ones that we've seen in California in the past. For a while there, though, it did seem like... Every couple days, we'd feel a significant tremor. Sometimes it would be about 20 or 30 seconds long. Uh, but, yeah, it hasn't been that way in quite a long time. I think there was only maybe two or three that kind of scared me. To it. The first one, because I didn't know what it was. Uh, my wife had been in earthquakes, so she could tell me, like, I think that was an earthquake. you know. But And then uh, there was one that went on. It was a little longer, and it felt like it was ramping up. 
and that one scared me a little bit. Where <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> just a moment of panic, but uh, not not too bad. But like you say, there have been, uh, you know, people have had problems with their housing sometimes with cracks and things. And a lot of a lot of houses for some reason in this area, if they were built in the seventies and eighties, they put the the piping for the the well and the septic and all that. They put it in uh, the foundation, the concrete slab, and uh, a lot of repairs have had been done on those pipes, including mine. Um, and the plumber said he thought maybe it was because of the earthquakes. Really? Because those things were getting, they're copper pipes at that, from that time period and they would get cracked and mm-hmm. broken and they start draining. So not fun to have to fix that, but, uh, that might be something related to those earthquakes too. That's a real tangible impact, even though they're not the biggest earthquakes ever. If you have to spend a lot of money on repairs, obviously they are being felt and, uh, it's, it's just kind of so, so unexpected to have them here of all places when we're known for uh the pretty bad tornadoes basically and that's about it yeah you want to you want to have you know you know every area is probably going to have its negative thing but you don't want to have them all right you know because california's got the earthquakes but you're like yeah but they got the ocean you know <laughs> so here we got the tornadoes but we could say well we don't have any earthquakes but then we did we don't want variety in this instance no. it, of all things to have variety in you don't want them with disasters if i remember correctly 2016 actually oklahoma had the most earthquakes of any place on earth mm-hmm. i believe or at least in the u.s so less this year so far of course as soon as i say that we'll have an earthquake while we're on the air <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is an interesting write-up from money.cnn.com uh there's a good chance that if you got a present uh, which some people do this time of year uh returns end up in landfills Five billion pounds of returned items end up in the trash heap, according to Optoro, a tech company that helps major retailers manage their returns. People bring a, bring a lot of stuff back. They return uh, $380 billion worth of goods, $90 billion of which are processed just during uh, the holiday season here. Uh, only half of those returns make it back to the shelves. The rest go to either you know some sort of a discount store or just throw them in the trash. Because it costs the company more to repackage and put it back on the shelf than it does to just either give it to some other store or pitch it. So uh, some of them go to these other retail, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Big Lots or something like that. And other ones just go in the dump. So I don't know. Lots of lots of those toys and gifts and things just end up in the trash heap. I never thought of that before, but I know from my own experience, uh, if I've already opened a package sometimes, I know technically if you have the receipt, you can go back to the store and return it. But... I generally just feel like maybe I shouldn't have opened it. Even if there was a defect and it wasn't my fault, um, I just realized it probably could be a hassle for the store to have to deal with something like that. Yeah, and that's why it's always interesting when they talk about retail and say, oh, well, they sold X amount of money or X amount of goods. Uh, A lot of it's coming back, though. A lot of things get returned. Uh, The National Retail Federation estimates 15 to 30% of items bought online are going to be returned. About $32 billion worth. And so there's the cost of shipping it back, you know, restocking it, paying people to, in some cases, repackage, put it back on shelves. And so they look at the the bottom line and say, well, it's not worth it. So we'll just pitch it out. So wow. I wish I just knew where they, where they were doing that. I'd be like, can I look through this stuff? Yeah, I might want to take something. Couldn't they just drop that off at some some school for all the kids to to take those things? I'm sure I'm sure young children won't be particularly picky about a lot of these items. At least, yeah. There's it's just it's a waste. I mean, it seems like there's something you could do with it. And in some cases, they do try to give it to some other stores, but it it just seems like uh, way too much waste there. That happens with food too. I mean, 
that's a little bit of a different story. But, you know, restaurants have a lot of food at the end of the day that they, what are they going to do with it? You know, sometimes I'll take it to maybe a, a soup kitchen or something, but a lot of times they pitch it out. I remember years ago, some of the guys I went to high school with, they were working at some local fast food place, which a lot of the teens did. And, and uh, the big story one day at school was that one guy got in big trouble because they were supposed to throw out the burgers at the end of the day and he ate them. <laughs> <laughs> and it was serious. Like they, I, I don't think he got in that big of a trouble, but um, they didn't want you doing it. They wanted you to just throw them in the garbage. They had some policy where you couldn't eat the stuff. I don't know if that's because they thought the employees would make more and take it home or something, mm. but they said, you have to throw it in the garbage. It was good food. I mean, it was fast food, but I mean, right. it was still edible in that sense. And uh, so he was eating it and got, got in trouble. I tremble to think at how many burgers he might have eaten because a lot of those places probably have quite a bit of leftovers at the end of the day. Maybe he didn't eat all of it, but there there are some places like I worked at a pizza buffet and anything on the line at the end of the day, uh, you could take it home if you wanted to. Oh, nice. And so I would just basically package it up and then give it to a bunch of the poor college guys that I knew at the time. I was in high school. My parents were still feeding me so i i just gave it to the college guys and they were pretty thankful for the late night snack yeah you could have got a little business going there <laughs> yeah <laughs> late night grant's late night pizza pizzeria just be dropping it <laughs> off like every night I, I gained a lot of friends that way actually <laughs> that's what they say the way to somebody's hearts through their stomach i guess so maybe that's the way to do it but uh, kind of interesting there with all the the retail sales and then of course throwing stuff away and then you know they had some some write-ups today just about how People are like, yeah, yeah, let's uh, get over our holidays here, and then we get back into, you know, going to the stores and seeing what's on sale again. (laughs) So anyway, uh, I don't know. Either people have a lot of money or they have a lot of debt. I would tend to think it's mostly the debt. Mostly debt because it's amazing how fast your paycheck can disappear just just without buying anything that's considered a luxury. So when you go beyond that and you're uh, packing up on gifts that normally you don't have the budget for, I don't really think a lot of these people are saving up year round to prepare for something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. We were talking about yesterday in, in relation to uh, credit, just how, you know, the West is, lives at a much higher standard than most of the world. And certainly if you look at historically, you know, if you just stop and think about yourself personally, you know, when's the last time you bought something because you absolutely had it? Like, I need this or else. You know, like, I, I need this or I'll be naked today. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's a pretty rare thing in this country. I guess maybe food, but even there, we're not walking in off of, you know, uh, on the verge of starvation or something like that. We typically buy things because we're like, eh, why not get something new? Or and I'm not saying that's always a problem, but, you know, we very rarely do. Does it come down to like, if I don't have this, I won't survive, and therefore I'm going to buy this today? Yeah, I think it's if people miss about seven meals, that's when they start to get really desperate. We're not, we're not, we're not buying that meal in time to avoid going eight in a row without it. We always have meals. We get three a day here. It's a prosperous nation. Uh, we usually don't have too many appliances breaking down at the same time where you absolutely have to go get it replaced. Uh, usually if one car breaks down, a lot of us have another car. So it's not like we're absolutely desperate and we have to go into debt to, uh, basically sustain our lives. Even the homeless people are overweight. You ever notice that? Very true. (laughs) see a lot of panhandlers around and they're overweight. And I'm like, where are you eating? (laughs) Probably probably McDonald's. I mean, uh, they got the dollar menu and, and, uh, I think you could, even without eating too much of that, you could balloon pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's a good point too. If you're eating poorly, then uh, that obviously takes a toll. It is kind of a 
confusing situation, though. You'd think that the people eating the least, regardless of what it is, would be the smallest. But sometimes the quality of food actually makes more of a difference. Yeah, you know, I was I was reading about uh, North Korea the other day, and uh, and uh, Kim Jong Un, and and he's put on some weight. He's pretty portly at this point, and uh, you know, they were just saying that in that culture, it's a sign of your wealth to be heavy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's 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 kind of showing off in a way. Um, but uh, so I guess a lot of people are showing off in, in the U.S. <laughs> it's not it's, it's not looked at in the same way here, obviously, but uh, it's different cultures have different ways of doing things. It used to be that way hundreds of years ago, too, in, in a lot of um, societies where there was a monarchy. Usually if you were pale skinned and pleasantly plump, then you were actually doing pretty well. It's, it's all flipped. Now everybody wants to be really thin and tan. <laughs> Uh, TheTrumpet.com today, make sure you check out this story. Divorce brings damaging increase to families. Uh, we talked about this a little bit the other day, and this is a more in-depth piece on it. It's by Dennis Leap. American ancestral family trees are cracking under the weight of these burgeoning additions to, uh, or of step families. There's just a lot more step families. And uh, the point is brought up in the, the write-up just how oh, certainly there's economic stress there, but then also you just you know, you sort of start to lose your identity in some ways. You know, you're part of a family, but it's not really your, totally your biological family. And so it it gets a little interesting when you start thinking about maybe some long-term repercussions of those things. Yeah, it does. And it's obviously a case where you can't always control uh, every aspect of that happening to your family. But, you know, if, if half your family becomes people that you've only met once or twice in your entire life, it's not necessarily going to be the closest family those are not always going to be uh people you could rely on if you got in dire straits necessarily so you could definitely see some some things turning out in a strange way and even just uh uh, the impact that it has on um your relationships like different marriages where i've heard of situations where um one woman or one man will then marry multiple people in the same family because they're all so distantly related that that's actually possible. Uh, it's just kind of confusing after a while. Yeah. Sometimes people that were orphaned for whatever reason, um, and they end up, you know, being adopted or or some situation like that. They usually do have kind of a longing to know where they came from. They want to know about that. Even if they had a really nice situation, uh, you know, we want to kind of know that to some extent, like where we come from, who we're related to. And so it's 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 just a changing, um, changing families, if you want to call them that. And uh, that's right up there at the trumpet dot com today. Also, make sure you stop and check out the Trumpet Daily Radio Show with your host, Stephen Flurry. Uh, he talks about Russia. The, the media now has come out and said, well, the Rus- Russians are preparing for war. Vladimir Putin is preparing for war. What is Donald Trump doing? And as he brings out uh well, how come they didn't say anything the last eight years when President Obama was in office? You never saw that headline. Putin prepares for war. What is President Obama doing? <laughs> right. And uh, Richard Palmer had a really good trumpet brief about that recently, too. Is Vladimir Putin really so bad? Uh, just just showing how if anyone is softer on Russia, it would have to be the Democrats. Both sides have their faults because of our nation's broken will now, but still... Barack Obama had the red line in Syria that was very repeatedly violated, uh, partially by Russia, just because Russia was backing the Syrian regime. You had Hillary Clinton offering a literal red reset button (laughs) to one of the Russian officials. Uh, Those are instances where you could literally say that 
uh, the Democrats have been softer on Russia, but the media doesn't seem to have as much of a panic about that as they do about whatever President Trump happens to be doing regarding Russia. Yeah, it's such biased uh, reporting that they don't... Uh well, then, in, in the second half of the program on the Trumpet Daily, they play this really great montage of talking uh, reporters and journalists and so on, uh, talking about how you know it was amazing. Eight years of President Obama, there was no scandals, no nothing, no no scandals at all. Uh, you know, yeah, I can only think of like a hundred off the top of my head, probably <laughs> off the top. <laughs> there's I have uh, there's a book, I mean, volumes after volume True. of scandal, scandal, scandal. And uh, I think what they should have said more accurately is, it's amazing how we just don't report on any of them. Yeah, yeah. If you don't, if you don't report on them, then yeah, there's nothing there, I guess. Well, remember that reporter. So I guess it was uh, Savannah Guthrie who asked Paul Ryan recently if he was living in a fantasy world. I mean, really, it's not. It's pretty obvious who's living in a fantasy world and who is addicted to their ideology so that they can't report on certain things. Uh, that's how the media has gotten now. They're not just reporting the facts and letting people decide. They're actively trying to distort the way that people think. Yeah, and you would think as a journalist, and I know they they go to you know depending on what schools they go to, typically they're kind of indoctrinated into a sort of this liberal way of thinking. But you know the idea of being a journalist is that you're gonna you know investigate and find out the truth, and there's all that I, that uh, ideology out there. You, you would think as a journalist you'd want that freedom to be able to decide to look at everything, um, but they're they're most cases aren't doing that. Related to just the way the media is handling things, there's this uh, write-up today from Yahoo, which is a, an apropos place to put this. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in 2017, it says the tug of tribalism grew stronger. Uh, and they say, but political parties are tribes, only in a metaphorical sense. There is another meaning to quote-unquote tribalism that cuts much closer to the bone. That is the spread of ethno-nationalism, the polite term for racism. Uh, and this author says, in his new collection of essays, We Were Eight Years in Power, Ta-Neshi uh, Kodis calls Trump the first white president. He needs to look at the history there a little bit. Uh, the first, they say, whose election coming after Barack Obama's two terms was a specific affirmation of white supremacy rather than a routine perpetuation of it. And uh, so I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, I'm going to go back and look at the election results from 2012. <laughs> and in 2012, President Obama won 93% of the African-American vote and 39% of the whites voted for him, too. But now, because somebody got an office they don't like, it's tribalism. You know, uh, no one, no people are just voting with their tribe, quote-unquote, as this author says. But um, they're only talking about this now because they lost. <laughs> right. They don't care if everybody votes for their candidate. If you want to look at the numbers, yeah, there, there might be some, as they call it, tribalism, but it's not the way they think it is. Very true. Uh, whites have always been pretty divided between the Republicans and Democrats in most every election. Uh, I think they might slightly be swinging more toward the Republicans now just because the other side is blatantly racist against them. I mean, that's that's the way that uh, there has been racism expressed mainly. If you're If you're going to say that Nazis are the main issue and the main problem, well, there's 8,000 at most in the entire country. There are plenty more people who think that Black Lives Matter is a totally acceptable uh, social justice group. There are a lot of people who support Antifa, which is uh, totally all about assaulting people who disagree with them. The, the racism would happen to be on the other side, and it's actually a lot more physically violent than it is on the right. 
a commenter to this article, and a lot. Of, I read a few of the comments, and most everybody was in agreement that it was a really bad write-up. But the commenter says, this article is a great example of tribalism. Right is bad and left is good. That's what they're talking about. There's always been, there's always been this, to use this guy's term, tribalism in politics. It's always been that way. People always say, well, I'm going to vote. I always vote this way or I always vote that way. Um, but, but there are people in the middle that kind of go, you know, they might change their thinking on it. But if you look at, say, the minority vote, it always goes one way for mm-hmm. the most part, and it goes Democrat. That's where that's where it truly is a block voting base and not not when it comes to uh, the whites. And I mean, it they're making it all about the person's race, like people only voted for President Trump because he is a white male on the Republican ticket in the Republican primaries. There was a female candidate. There was a black candidate. But the thing is, that's not what is most important. What is in your head, your set of ideas, your beliefs, uh, your solutions for the problems in the country matter far more than if you happen to be a minority or a female or whatever else it might be. On the left, though, it's primarily all about as long as you aren't a white male, that's who we're going to put as our political or as our presidential candidate. Guardian had a write up today, too, talking about. President Obama's post-presidential life, what he's going to be doing. And uh, they say Obama's executive afterlife so far is unique because his successors is unique. Or sorry, his successor is unique. In other words, they don't like President Trump. (laughs) Uh, Say close observers of the post-presidency. Mark Updegrove, a former director of the LBJ Presidential Library and the author of Second Acts, Presidential Lives and Legacies After the White House, said that Obama has demonstrated admirable reserve. He said, you have to give him credit for his remarkable restraint, giving the, uh, what President Trump has done to his agenda um, or, or to the acts that President Obama did in office. He says, in so doing, President Obama has observed this unwritten rule among presidents to let their successors find their way in the office. Is that true? Two paragraphs later, despite his restraint, Obama has spoken out when Trump made a particularly painful stab at his legacy. Obama released a statement in June defending the Affordable Care Act, opposed withdrawal from the Paris climate deal, and most sharply slammed Trump's decision to repeal protections for childhood immigrant arrivals. So in the same write-up, they said, it's amazing the restraint he's shown. Two paragraphs later, then they give three examples of when he did not show restraint. This This is the media today. Exactly. I've never heard a president talk so much after no longer being the president but somehow that qualifies as being incredibly restrained i mean obviously he's not going out in public and throwing a tantrum but short of that he's pretty much making his thoughts known on every issue despite the fact that he's no longer in office and the, despite the fact that what his beliefs are are no longer relevant because he's not in the position to carry out his ideas anymore Really uh, interesting, uh, just the way the media continues to spin it. It's talked about a lot today on the Trump Daily Radio Show, in particular with the way the media is handling Russia now. Now Russia's a threat. The last eight years, there was nothing to see here, <laughs> just because of the, the ideologies. It's uh, unfortunate. Uh, today is the 26th of December. Here's uh, an interesting historical note that's sports-related. But it shows you that you know people and teams and, and communities have ups and downs. <laughs> 1954 and 1955, both years on this day, the Cleveland Browns won the NFL championship, first beating Detroit 56-10 to and then the Los Angeles Rams 38-14. to So back in the mid-50s, it was a great time to be in Cleveland. That was an up. Now we're <laughs> in a time of down. Uh, NFL record drought of 28 consecutive seasons without a division title, and the Browns um, 
have extended their franchise record playoff drought to 15 consecutive seasons. A loss to the Chargers in Week 13 was a few weeks back. Also made the Browns 1-27 in their first 28 games under the coach Hugh Jackson. Uh, that's the worst uh, winning percentage of all time. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> but, if you know, for those that say, wow, I can't believe how bad we are, 1954, 1955, you guys were on top of the world. You win one, you lose all the rest is how this last coach is going, sadly. And I've even heard they're going to throw a parade in Cleveland if the team goes 0-16. Oh, wow. I hope that doesn't happen. I mean, that would pretty much give a team grounds to leave the city if they're just going to get mocked like that uh, in, a, in a citywide parade. Would you rather go 0-16 or 1-15? Uh, definitely one in fifteen. I mean, obviously, you're going to be in the the record books for going zero in sixteen, but you're going to be scorned for the rest of your life for being a part of that team. Yeah, I guess. I'm not sure how I feel. I'm not, you're so close though to accomplishing something horrible. <laughs> like, why not just go through with it? Why Why pull out that one victory to give the team hope? As a As a player, you wouldn't want it to happen, but as a fan, I think. At some point, you get irritated with your team, and you just want to see them get whooped even worse so that hopefully they learn a lesson and try to never repeat that same disaster again. I remember back when I was uh, growing up, the um, the Saints were really bad for a long time. They've been good lately, but they always wear paper bags. The fans wear paper bags on their heads to hide their identity at the games, and they called them the New Orleans Aints. <laughs> so, you know, you got to have a little fun with your... With your organization, if they're not doing very well, I guess. Very true. Uh, it it is. Uh, it's unfortunate any time that your team is getting mocked by its own fans. I don't. I don't like to ridicule my own teams that much, but um, they definitely deserve it. I mean, the Bills haven't made the playoffs since 1999. That's longer than the Browns' drought. So, I'm not going to rub it in too much. <laughs> the uh, when the calendar year flips over, sometimes people are thinking about things to do in their lives to improve. And uh, weight loss is always one of those main ones. And uh, the role of hydration is important in that. It says, consider this. Consider the calorie savings. If you replace every 150 calorie can of soda consumed daily, which is not that uncommon, with a glass of water, you can save more than 1,000 calories per week, which translates to 15 pounds lost over a year. Drinking a glass of water before a meal can help you fill up and eat fewer food calories as well. So your body needs plenty of good water. Uh, hydration could be from water or foods that have water in them as well. But uh, when you just start thinking about the calorie replacement, if somebody has a uh, soda addiction and you replace it with water, it can make some pretty massive changes within a year. Definitely. And it is pretty tempting when you're really hungry just to go get a big meal and, and deal with it that way. But sometimes the water does take a bit of the edge of the hunger off and then you'll eat a lot less. Definitely, we uh, probably a lot of us have experienced that very same thing where instead of you know spending money for no reason to go out and get something if you just drank a little bit of water or even even coffee suppresses appetite too and and you wouldn't be ha uh, necessarily having to eat a fourth meal yeah like they say they recommend sometimes that you drink a glass of water before a meal and it can help you uh fill up a little bit so anyway different uh things there they have all kinds of uh things i think they have <clears throat> water or hydration counters you're supposed to carry around and enter all your drinking water drinking information and uh sometimes those things are helpful i, I used to do a few of those things and then i got to the point where i'm like I'm just, i don't need to tell you what i'm doing <laughs> it's just got to be a burden you know to enter the info i'm like i i know what i'm doing just keep track of it in my head mm. use my brain <laughs> so uh i don't know sometimes 
I, I go up and down with those different apps. Sometimes I like to use them. Sometimes I just get sick of them. Yeah, it's it's on and off. It's hard to it's hard to stay with a habit like that. It takes a lot of work to write down every detail. I don't know if you've ever tried like a minutes log of your day to see how many minutes you spent on each activity, but obviously that takes quite a lot of diligence and you have to pay very close attention to what you're doing. So things like that are pretty difficult to keep up long term sometimes. I have uh, the only one I use now is I have a, just a timer app where you can put in a couple of different categories and time it. And I have a few things that I time um, just to keep track of. But yeah, I don't do every single thing because um, I don't probably just couldn't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see. I don't want to see what I'm doing. Cover your eyes. <laughs> yeah, with everything. But I, I do try to keep track of a couple of things. So different things work for different people. Uh, the U.S. as you're, no one will be surprised, has a heavy debt burden. As a nation, including uh, individuals, whether it be car debt, uh, credit card debt's probably the major one, I guess, uh, as far as debts that people could get rid of or hopefully could get rid of. Uh, mortgage debt, that's a little different. Um, student loan debts, all kinds of debts out there. You know, even now, like the these these for-profit schools, as they call them, like your uh, ITT Tech and things like that, some of them have gone out of business being somewhat fraudulent, I guess. Uh, and But but those debts still remain, so students are waiting. You know, I, well, I owe $15,000 to a school that went out of business. Can I get a break on this? So they're still waiting to find out. But when you start piling debts up, uh, one thing that people have in common is there's a lot of debt in the U.S. Yeah, definitely. And it's really difficult to ever dig your way back out unless you make some pretty drastic changes, which is what the booklet we're going to talk about also is covering. Yeah, Solve Your Money Troubles. It's a free book at thetrumpet.com. And uh, the chapter we're talking about today is Getting Out of Debt, an Emergency Crash Course. Uh, to kind of cut to the chase of it, you have to you have to um, make some big changes, <laughs> typically speaking, unless you've got some windfall coming. But uh, as it points out, life is pretty short, and it's too precious to grind under the financial and mental burden of debt for years on end. But it does take, oftentimes, pretty drastic action to get out of it. And one of the first points uh, is to buy nothing else on credit. Uh, and that's hard because uh, it's easy to pay today and worry about it later. But if there's a problem with debt, particularly credit card debt, the first thing you have to do is stop spending, stop buying on credit. Yeah, and it's difficult to do something like that if you are relying on credit to pay bills. Hopefully, our income is enough to pay our basic expenses, and we shouldn't be putting uh, those necessities like, you know, electricity for your house and things like that on a credit card, then you can just look at the credit card as something that you're buying extra things on. And hopefully that's a way to get it under control. Yeah, there's a, I, I guess we're so reliant on credit in this society that's easy to feel like you know, if you don't use credit, or you don't have it, then what are you going to do? You know, but that's a that's a good wake up call, too, because it does show the reality of how much money you actually have versus you know your, your how much you you think you can have or you could you could pay it off later but when you really look at do I actually have the money to do this or not a lot less buying in most cases uh, because the money just isn't there it's probably pretty common for people to set a budget that every single paycheck is actually above what they make i mean it may seem, sound like a simple principle but if you are uh, having bills to pay every couple of weeks that outpace what you're actually earning during that time uh, that's a pretty damaging way to live especially if you are already feeling the pressures of debt and are desperate to get out some pretty big changes need to be made 
possibly a downgrade in where you're living so you pay less less rent uh maybe getting rid of a car or two things like that are necessary to at least balance your budget every couple weeks or every month whatever it might be and then you can try to go from there getting rid of all the rest of your debt yeah that's a that's another really good point is that budgeting is important because if you don't know where the money's going it's hard to make changes and so uh really scrutinize your expenses that's another thing that's pointed out in this chapter by getting out of debt okay well where is the money going uh, can I get rid of some of these expenses? Do I need these things? When you read stories about uh, people that have been successful getting out of debt, it is that is a big issue. Uh, looking at things that they have that they they can't afford, and but it's hard to let it go. You know, it might be the favorite car, or that might be the whatever it is, and they they can get by without it. Maybe it's a little uncomfortable, but they can get by without it. But it's just hard to give it up. Maybe it's the house, or maybe it's the whatever. But for people that have done that wisely, it doesn't mean just, you know, it talks also about being smart. You don't want to just, you know, uh, overdo it. You, you know, you need a good plan. But um, when people have been able to finally maybe cut the emotional ties with some item that they don't can't afford and don't need, then the ball gets going the other way. And in a lot of cases, a few years later, people have the actual money to go out and buy it again if they want it. True. That's That's the whole key to it is just patience. We all have a certain standard that we would love to live in life, but we don't necessarily have the money right away to achieve that high level that we want. It does take time. It does take a lot of effort. It does take a lot of discipline to save the money for something like that. And uh, Mr. Robert Morley in this booklet gets very practical about you know, downsizing where you live, even if you think some of the rooms in a place might be dingy or dirty. You could clean them up. You could put a new coat of paint on the walls, get some cheap curtains, actually make a place a lot more livable than it even looked like before you moved in. Uh, if you get rid of a car, uh, maybe you can move a bit closer to work, be within walking distance of a shop, get yourself a bicycle. Those types of things are all very practical and very helpful steps for drastically reducing our regular bills our regular expenses so that we have more money to throw at the debt yeah society today is one where uh, they give you a lot of options to make you feel like you're sort of improving or going in a positive direction when you're really just getting into more debt i think of automobiles where you see commercials a lot of times about you know are you underwater in your car in other words do you owe more than it's worth uh no problem come down to the lot we'll give you a brand new one we'll pay off the old one Life will be great. You feel good about yourself. You've made a smart financial decision. You have a new car. Uh, you have a bigger debt than what right. you had before. That's just the truth of it. And, yeah, you have a newer automobile, but it's also depreciating very quickly. And so a point is brought out here that, look, if you're considering your finances, uh, consider your vehicle. I mean, maybe you don't need the one you have, or maybe if you have multiple ones, you don't need them. It could be an inconvenience to not have it or several, but uh, is it worth the pay? what you're paying for you know and if somebody can afford it and they buy a great car you know good form <laughs> that's neat <laughs> but and most i always wonder if you when you're driving down the highway and it's busy if you could just make every car that people owed money on disappear how many cars would be on the road oh wow the never. broken down one on the side <laughs> <laughs> there'd never be any uh traffic if that yeah. if that were what happened because it it is just a big drag on a lot of our incomes just you know 500 a month or more on a car Mr. Morley compares that to having an extra person living in the household with you. Uh, do we really want to spend so much on a car that it's actually taking the place of a human being? 
And uh, two, you know, it's hard when you're first starting out because it's easy to th- to want everything that say somebody has that that's been at their job for thirty years. If people do that anymore, I don't know. But uh, you know, it takes time. But everybody wants the the nice house, the new car, you know, all those things. But then then there you are with the debt. So it is you have to look at expenses, and sometimes it might be a cherished vehicle or something that that if if you just can't afford it, it's better to get rid of it. And as is pointed out in the booklet, the the point is you have to remember if you're in debt, you're in debt, and it is an emergency. It is not that you need to panic, but you do need to take it seriously and consider, again, where you live, your vehicles, I mean, all these things. And that really, in a way, and people that have kind of gone through this process have written about it in a lot of different books, money books, that uh, it is pretty liberating. Like, it's not easy, but once they get the ball rolling, they're amazed at how their lives improve, their quality of life improve, the relationship with their spouse improved in a lot of cases if they're married. And, um, man, they realize, wow, I mean, we, we actually have more than we realize once we got rid of all the, the drains on our uh, on our finances. So it's not easy to start, but once people get going with it, it, it actually is very liberating and freeing. And you do, in a lot of cases, see that we actually have more than we thought we did. That's definitely the end goal to focus on because probably a, a big, huge thing keeping people from... Uh, attacking their debt in the first place is just knowing that they're going to have to drastically reduce their standard of living. They're going to have to make some pretty hard sacrifices for the time being to obtain a much better life. And maybe they would rather, they think they would rather live with the debt than uh, cut down. And, and uh, like it even says here, cut back on your food bill by doing couponing or cooking or, or making more of your own canning gardening all all these types of things uh those are that that's pretty difficult it takes a lot of effort to save money by putting in extra work like that uh but like you said if if people are just overjoyed and their marriages are strengthened and they break down into tears of joy when they finally pay off that last bit of debt that's definitely worth the effort that you're going to have to expend and as is pointed out here um in and in a lot of good financial books is don't give up after a month or two of trying to get uh, finances in order, paying off debt. You know, if it's sizable debt, which in a lot of cases it is, you're not going to pay it off in a month. It's going to take a while, but you can't quit. And the point is brought out here from Proverbs 24.10 that if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So it it takes effort, uh, as you said, and you do have to stick with it and not quit at the first sign of, um, you know, stress or the first sign of... of, uh, hardship from it, you know, or emotional stress from it. And uh, it takes a while to get the ball rolling in the right direction. But once it does and uh, you continue going in the right way, then you can see the success. Another example is given of Hebrews 12.1, telling us to run our spiritual race with patience and smartly, uh, getting rid of those things that impede our progress. And that same principle is true in a lot of things, including finance. It's not going to happen in a day, but if you stick with it, You'll be amazed at, at really how far you get, how quickly. And another thing he writes here is that we shouldn't focus on the far-off dream of total freedom from debt, but more on just the amount of progress made on that journey toward freedom. It obviously is going to take years in some cases to pay off all the debt, but if you're looking at, wow, I used to have 15000 in debt and now it's down to 10000 instead of looking at the 10000 you have left, why not? Uh, admire the accomplishment of five thousand uh, uh, dollars taken off of that debt and then be inspired to keep going you're already a third of the way there 
just keep pushing toward it because that goal is going to be extremely fulfilling after all that hard work. Yeah, and there are some specific uh, technical things to look at too. Uh, you know, if if there's debt, usually there's interest involved, and uh, a lot of times experts will say pay off loan with the highest interest first because you save money long term. Other people say, well, pay off your smallest first because it gives you more uh, momentum. So. You know, unless unless you're paying paying like forty percent interest or something insane like that, <laughs> it probably is just a matter of uh, what you want to do with it. And uh, and then there are offers out there that I think can be somewhat helpful if you're careful, zero uh, percent for a while or something like that. The danger in that is people just start shifting the debt around to different cards and feel like, well, it's zero percent interest. What difference does it make? And never pay it off, mm. and then load up another one. So some of those tools can be helpful, but you, but again, you have to have the restraint and you have to change your lifestyle to say, okay, I'm not going to buy anything on credit anymore. And until that happens, the rest of it never really takes off. I mean, you can be budgeting and doing all these things, but if you bust your budget every month, it's kind of a pointless you know, exercise. So that, that, that restraint and stop, stopping buying on credit is the biggest thing. I know retailers don't want you to do that, all right. but... We're not concerned about retailers. We're concerned about getting out of debt. That's that's true. We're not we're not too worried about someone making less less sales at their store at the expense of people who are struggling with debt as it is. I love the I love the point that he had here about uh, if you have some item that's huge on interest, that's the one you want to pay off first. But uh, for different people, you might be motivated by the snowball technique, where if you pay off the smallest one first. Then you take that extra money that you have now because you, you no longer are paying debt on the smallest one. You throw that toward the next smallest one. Once you've paid off those two, now you have money from the, 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 the two smallest debts that you can throw at the third smallest one. And it just keeps building like that. So either way, I mean, it just depends on what you prefer. But there are different ways to go about it, uh, different options for getting out of debt. And even just the fact that there's more than one option shows that there's definitely hope and that it is possible to do it. And the last uh, point that is brought out here about getting out of debt is get drastic, but don't get stupid. (laughs) And it says when you're in debt, the allure of certain promising investments can be strong. But as Proverbs 21.5 points out, everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. If you notice the uh, get rich quick schemes and all those things, uh, the people that are subscribing to them are poor. <laughs> and the only person rich in there is the person selling the product uh, in most cases. So uh, you have to be really careful. Now, I mean, there may be some good opportunities that come people's way. But again, uh, and, and it, like it says, be be honest, you know, have your integrity. Don't try to do something you shouldn't do, but make sure you're, you're obeying God's laws and, and sticking with it. That's where you see the long-term lasting success. Very rarely, you know, you didn't get into the debt in a day usually, <laughs> and you're not going to get out in a day. But but it's a, it's something you can work at. Yeah, the lottery, the casino, are little little more than taxes on the poor. If you end up spending money on those things a lot, that can actually wreck a budget as well. If if those are habits that we get into because we want to get rich quick, or if we end up subscribing to some sort of course that is supposedly supposed to make us be able to spring up a business overnight that's going to make us millions of dollars. Uh, all of that is money that is just basically flushed away that we could have been throwing at our debt instead. 
Yeah. You would think just common sense would tell you, well, if it was so easy, why wouldn't everybody do it? It's true. And that's what they tell you on those commercials, too. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> but, it, you know, you know, you're the special one that can make this work. Right. That's what they, they want you to believe. But, uh, again, it says, remember, God wants you to prosper. He wants you to be able to live the debt-free way of life and experience the blessings that come as a result of obeying his financial laws. So keep working, get creative in finding ways to save money, and persevere through the drastic action and emergency cuts that you have decided to take. And then, uh, like the example given where they that couple paid off their debt, then you can sit back and uh, shed a few tears of joy and uh, then, then get into saving something. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a difference between going broke and burdening your family just by out-of-control spending or making that short sacrifice of working some long hours sometimes, cutting back on some luxuries, and then just being joyful as a family instead of having that, that burden of debt, but then also the discord that comes with it. it. Solves a lot of problems. That's right, when you get out of debt. Solve Your Money Troubles. There's a free book at thetrumpet.com. Uh, make sure you check that out. That's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, thanks for being with us today. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. Those are coming your way. And uh, thanks for being with us today. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.